Well, outside of self-awareness and building relationships in business, there is one other key area that I am most passionate and excited about. And I think I'm really passionate about this area because as a type eight, the challenger, we like to protect things that have experienced injustice. And I think one area of our businesses or of our professional lives that has experienced a great injustice is the area of sales. I am so passionate about the area of sales that I brought someone that is the most passionate 10x more passionate about sales than I am, Mr. Michael Pink. So we're going to start this in, with a very different question. I've never asked a question like this. If an alien landed in your lawn and asked you, what is sales? How would you describe it? Well, thanks for the heads up on that, but... You know, people look at sales as uh, something you do to somebody to get what you want. That was what I was trained on, essentially. It's a process I walk through to um, learn how to overcome their objections and arm wrestle them into finally signing a contract so that I could pull money out of their pocket. But that is not sales. That's something else. Uh, sales is simply a process of discovery, mutual discovery where you discover as a salesperson what somebody's needs, wants, and desires are, why they're important to them, when they need whatever it is they need, and then you you direct them, you help them to get what it is they're looking for that's in their best interest. So you can't do that without, first of all, finding out what really is important and why they need it and why they want it. And then do you have the solution? If you do, you guide them to that solution. And sometimes that solution may be something or someone else. Well, you never try to sell them something that's not in their best interest. I'm always looking for what is in this person's best interest. And when it is self-evident that this is in their best interest and they realize that and you've taken the time to understand what their needs are and you care about them, they're like, okay, I'm in. How do I get it? And they do. So that's sales is, is a simple process. You walk through with somebody to get something that's in their best interest. Wow. See, I told you, you all were in for a treat. Michael Pink, everybody, an author, sales expert, communication expert. He has written books with the forward from Zig Ziglar himself. The resume is impressive. Trust me. He has one book, The Bible Incorporated, that has sold over 400,000 copies. Is that is that up to date, Michael? I don't, I don't want to... That's the last number that I have. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't I don't know where we're at these days, but I know it sold hundreds of thousands of copies for sure. Michael also wrote the most comprehensive biblically based sales book ever, The Seven Secrets of the Sale. But he's so much more than a sales expert, just in business and life and how he takes something and considers it and applies it. So you all are in for a real treat. But sales, Michael, you've been in sales for a few more years than I have. What happened? Why did sales become so abused or get the stigma created around it that, that most people, when they hear sales, they do not think about what you just said. They think about a used car salesman or somebody that's, that's selling a pyramid scheme or what have you. What happened to sales? Well, the thing about sales is it's really the highest paid profession on the planet, potentially, depending on what you're selling. But the sales skill itself can make somebody an awful lot of money. Again, it depends whether you're selling popsicles or popsicle stands. I mean, it makes a difference. But because it is potentially lucrative, people tend to, on occasion, a lot of occasions, get their eyes set on the money and 
they lose sight of ethics. They, they start thinking what's best for me instead of what's best for them. And a lot of times greed and other things get into play and it, and it contaminates, if you will, or basically disrupts the process in a way. And it's not good, but it can be good. Sales is a very, very good thing. But what's happened is because it's lucrative, people go into it a lot of times with the wrong motives or the wrong belief system. And when things don't go like they thought it would go, then they start cutting corners and compromising because the other guy is. And uh, I just received, uh, looking at today, an email I got from somebody who was adamant. He's saying sales is a dirty, dirty business. And my father told us that the only people, only reason that people go into sales is because they're paid to lie. That's what salespeople are. And so he was adamant about his beliefs. And uh, I told him that, uh, you know, that he was wrong about that, that people do do that, but that is not what it's all about. But it, do, it, do, it did go that way because people look at it as a way of, of being able to write themselves a check. If I can get this guy to say, yes, I'm going to make some money, they believe. And so it's a short-term thing and, and it's very um, corrupting. So yeah. that's, that's the way that is. Well, that's unfortunate because when people say uh, being coaches in business, you and I, and developing people, I'm sure you come across it all the time. Well, I don't, I don't want to be too salesy or these things that are, are just not created around the proper understanding of what sales is. And I'm proud to say, I love sales because I love connecting people. I love building relationships. I love meeting needs. And I think if more people adopted that mindset or understood those motives more accurately, then they would be successful sales people. Because you're taking someone and like you mentioned, finding what their needs are, building a relationship with them and then meeting that need and being okay with, Hey, I don't, I don't meet the need. I tell my clients, I don't want to be your coach right now or work with your company right now. I want to work with your company when the timing is right, right? When it makes sense. So if that's 10, 15, 20 years from now, you have my number. We'll make it make sense because there's this pressure of, well, if I can't work with you right now, I'm afraid to tell you no or what have you. But Michael, you've been around the block a time or two in sales. Let's go back to the beginning and how you found yourself in sales and really becoming an expert in the arena. Well, you know, it's funny. Let me just uh, tap up one thing real quick. There's an expression uh, that most people have heard of. It's nice guys finish, you know, the word, next word? Last. That's right. And the, the thing is, what I say is, that's, a, that's sad that that's said because nice guys should never let nice customers make a poor buying decision. I don't believe in being pushy, but I don't believe in being a pushover. There's this balance. I'm not pushy, but I'm not a pushover. I have people who thank me because I was persistent in something and in rectifying some of their, their misbeliefs and helping them. But it, you know, I, I got into sales um, actually more than 34 years ago when I began. I got a job because I saw an ad that said, get paid what you're worth, unlimited income. And I was working for a company, I was a forklift driver and they'd gone on strike and I was a union shop and I thought I had to get a job someplace. And so I couldn't believe my good fortune. Like you get paid what you're worth. I am a rich man. They said, and I was 19 years old. And I thought, I can't believe my good fortune. I mean, where do I run down and get that job? And it was straight commission selling life insurance. But the thing was, I mean, there was no, there was no, uh, in my mind, there wasn't any possibility of thinking how I could lie to somebody or misrepresent something. It was never that at all. Um, I was eager to get into the field of sales. And I got into that selling life insurance. I did quite well with that. But I, I was traveling a lot because of their, their particular business model. And so I transitioned into a different company selling copiers, 
where you were in the same city, the same territory, you know, year after year. And I struggled in that business for a good while, but eventually I got up to average. And the thing, the thing about average that you need to know is when you're young and you're starting out, you don't think of it as average. You're down, down at the bottom and you're looking up and you see all the other bodies are swimming above you. And you think, I got to get up there. And if I don't get up there, I'm off the team. But you don't think right. of it, that's average. But it was average. But I got up to there and thought, okay, now I'm doing what the company expects of me. And so I got, I got to that level. And then it was from there, sometime later, I realized that is just average and that is far below what is actually possible. And I began to look for... So this goes back to the 70s. I began to look for, are there any books on sales written from a godly Christian perspective? I, I couldn't find one. Um, I did find one book that may very well have been written by a Christian, but it had a good perspective on it. It was called Non-Manipulative Selling. And for the first time in my life, I you mean somebody will teach you how to sell that doesn't use pressure and stupid closing techniques and 20 ways to close a sale and the Ben Franklin close and the alternative choice close and the, uh, these, all these closes, which by the way, they work to some extent. That's why they teach them. But the reason why they teach you 20 ways to close a sale is because they don't work that well. So they teach you if that one doesn't work, try this one. If that one doesn't work, this one, this one. And they say, you got to have at least five different ones. If you're going to have any success in it, which is nonsense. And I always tell people this, and people are listening to this, ask yourself this question. Have you, have you ever asked somebody to marry you? I asked that question in an audience. How many, let me see your hands, you know, and they raise their hands. Okay. Um, when you made that proposition, were you accepted or did they say no? Well, you know, 99% of the time, no, they said yes. Why did they say yes? Because you didn't ask the question until you were sure what the answer was going to be. Okay, what, how did that happen? Because you took the time along the way to find out what mattered to that person. You took an interest in them. You asked them a lot of questions. You learned a lot of things about them. And then when you finally popped the question, you were so sure of it that you made a $5,000 or whatever it was investment on a ring. And, and, and you know, you planned out a whole thing. We're going to be at the beach. We're going to be at sunset. I'm going to pop the question, pull out the ring, whatever it is you did. You did all that because you were sure you were going to get that when you close that sale, it was going to be yes. yes. And, and closing a sale in business in many respects, should be no more complicated than that. You didn't say, sweetheart, would you like to get married on the 15th or would the 30th be better? And if you make up your mind by five o'clock, I'll take you to Hawaii. You didn't say that. No, and if you did, you're not married to her, I'm pretty sure. So that's that approach, um, the high-pressure approach is ridiculous. And so I, I knew there had to be a better way, and eventually I found it. Yes. Michael, would you say that when you accelerate relationships, you accelerate results? Yeah, that's a, a, a basic thing. I, you know, the relationship thing is, I, I say that, that before a, a business is transactional, it's relational. Now, honestly, if you're selling ice cream cones on a, on a hot summer day, you're not building a relationship, you're, you're taking $2 for an ice cream cone. But in, in most of what we do, there's a, there's a relational aspect of it. Relationship is important. It's not everything because I might like somebody, but if I don't trust them, I'm not going to do business with them. If I might like him, but if the product doesn't do what I need, I'm not likely going to do business with them, even though I like them if it's inadequate in some way. But when, when it's between me and the other guy and we got similar offers, but they like me, that's a plus. So yeah, relational is, a, is an important part of it. And also, <clears throat> I mean, I look at my clients. I mean, I've got clients that I've had for decades that, I mean, 
I had a client in Oregon that we became clients. He became my client in 1999. I was speaking at an event in Tampa last week, a week, uh, 10 days ago, whatever it was, July 16th. Thousands of people were there. He flew out just so he could be there. He has, he's heard everything I've got to say, but he wanted to be there to show support. As a, and he's a client. He's also now become a very dear friend, but he, he flies across the country just to be there. That's because we have relationship. So yeah, it's very important. Wow. Well, I love that because we at True Strategy believe when you accelerate relationships, you accelerate results. And so I love when somebody as seasoned as you can confirm that, if you will, it makes me very happy. But I love hearing that, you know, sales, when you're closing a sale, it should be no more complicated than when you asked your spouse to, to marry you because you already spent the time building the relationship. I want to go back right. and emphasize that because there is a lot of pressure in sales or in building a business that says, well, no, I got to close the deal. And then I'll start to build the relationship. And it's like the, you know, the chicken and the egg or no, it's more clear. If you don't build the relationship, you won't close the sale. And so you're going to continue to pressure people into it. And that was an area that we connected when we met down in Tampa a couple of months ago in our background in life insurance. And so our experience there and unpacking that and, and uh, that shared interest, I guess, if you will, in sales. And one thing that I learned in the life insurance world was that it was a, a code or a combination or a formula that said 10-3-1. So if you had 10 qualified suspects or people that you were introduced to, then you would get three meetings. These would be prospects. And then you'd get one client. So essentially out of 10 introductions, you only gain one client. And I just adopt that as, all right, great. It's a proven formula. At least I know if I do that, then I will get one client. So that's what I would tell myself. All right, I'm going to call 10 people because I know I'm going to get one client. I just leaned into it. And I was not as mature as I am now in sales in building the relationship but you were also introduced to a formula and you did not choose to accept it. You chose to do better. Tell us about the formula that you were introduced to in sales and how you overcame that. Well, certainly. And thanks for the question. And by the way, the formula varies depending on whether you're selling insurance or copiers or real estate or whatever. So the, the ratios vary from industry to industry. Um, so for example, the industry that my transition and awakening, if you will, took place in was in the copier business. And the, the national average uh, was for every four companies that you actually demonstrated your equipment to, one of them would buy. National average is one out of four. When I moved to Tennessee from Canada and I once again got a job cop selling copiers, the vice president laid that out to me. He said, Michael, for every four companies you present to, you should make one sale. The national average is one out of four. And by the way, we want you to make six sales in your first 90 days. And then after that, four sales a month. Well, I didn't see anybody do that in the first 90 days but I understood it. But the problem was I'd already done that, the one out of four. I knew those numbers. I knew that was the average. I knew that was the norm. And I reasoned to myself, I said, what farmer plants four rows of corn and then prays to God that only one of them comes up. And suddenly the selling one out of four, I realized it, it meant accepting a 75% three out of four failure rate. And I thought, I, I just, why, as I said, a farmer plants four rows of corn, he wants all of them to come up. So I thought, I picked up my Bible, so I'm going to find principles and strategies. And th there's a distinction there. I'll get to in a second. And instead of that, I can apply to the sales process. And instead of selling one out of four, I intend to sell one out of one. And people look at the Bible and they don't usually think, well, this is a great sales training manual. But for me, it was exactly that because I went beyond principles of you know work ethic and honesty and integrity, as important as those are, and being a nice guy, as important as all those things are. There are lots of nice people that you know and I know, 
that work hard, are honest, men and women of integrity, and they're struggling to make it in sales. They struggle. That doesn't mean that's a guaranteed formula for that, but there's a lot of honest, good people that I know that have struggled uh, because they're, they're, there's something missing in that. And those things are important, but they all sometimes lack something else, i.e. their own belief that they can do it or lots of things. So I began studying in the scripture and I found certain things and said, how do I apply that to the sales process? And I began doing that immediately, immediately. And uh, they thought I was crazy that I was going to try to sell one out of four. But 90 days later at the company review, my results were projected on a screen behind me. And uh, as were everybody else's. And you had to explain to your peers what you had done the previous 90 days. And I said, well, I've been here 90 days. I've done 22 presentations. And I'm, I'm pleased to report that I also have 22 sales. And it was one out of one. And it was three and a half times a number, three and a half times six, that I never saw anybody hit in the two years I was there. Now, they thought... I was lucky. They thought I was from Mars. They thought all kinds of things. It didn't matter. I finished the year setting a record for the most number of copiers sold in a year, despite being in the territory less than 11 months. And I maintained over the year in excess of a 90% closing rate. Then the president said, Michael, we've never seen anybody do anything like this ever. You got any ideas? And I said, you know, on how we can get our other guys doing this. I said, no, I don't have any ideas. I have the solution. And when you want to know what it is, you gave me a call and he kind of took a step back, but he called me. And the next thing I know, the first week in January, I'm the new sales manager. And they gave me a team of four people, or excuse me, a team of five people. What they wanted to find out is, was it transferable or was I really from Mars or was that because I was an enigma to them? How could he work less than anybody and sell more than anybody by far? How is that possible? So they gave me this wow. team. 10 months later, my team, my team, their results were up 430%. 430%. That's not a 30% growth, which people would be ecstatic about. It's not 100% where you double your sales, 430%. They, they terminated my role as sales manager and said, you're now the trainer for the entire company. We had five branch offices and head office and all that kind of stuff. You now got the whole thing. It's all yours. What I did though, was I taught them the, the biblical lessons that I was learning from the Bible for sales. And it's not enough about principles as important as they are, but there are some actual strategies, but there's also things about mindset that are so important. You got good people who have bad mindsets. You have good people who think selling is a dirty thing. You have good people who think that I'm trying to get, I, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be whatever. And they don't understand. It's not that, but that, and probably the best example was um, the sales guy that I replaced because he was doing so poorly he asked if he could become a technician because he was more technically minded anyway. And they said, sure. So he kind of worked for me at that point. And, um, you know, I was a salesman. He was the, the tech giving me support. And I remember one time um, we had put a copier on trial at a business and had left it there for a few days and so on. And we went back to close the sale. And when we went there, the owner came out and he said, hey, guys, thanks so much for letting me try it. But it's just not right. I'm, I'm not going to keep it. I've decided I'm going to just keep the copy I already have. And so the, the uh, tech guy, former salesman <clears throat> said, okay, no problem. And he started preparing the copier, draining the fluids and things like that so he could take it with us. I said, hold on a minute. I said, sir, would you mind telling me how you arrived at that decision? He said, well, I just don't, I don't want to write a check for $5,000 right now. I said, okay, I understand that. Would it help if, if we did it on a lease of, uh, I don't remember the payment, maybe 150 bucks a month. Um, 
He said, yeah, that's better. But, you know, the first few months, I, I got a big bunch of cash coming in in a few months from now. And uh, so I just don't need the drain on my cash flow. I said, well, what if we took your, your copier as a trade-in and use that in lieu of a down payment? And, it, and you didn't have to make a payment until the you know, end of the year, whatever the time period was. And he said, well, that would work. Okay. So we wrote up the deal and he signed it. And then he left the room to go get a check. And while he was out of the room going to get a check, uh, that was post-dated. The salesman, the tech guy said to me, well, I can see why I'm not successful like you. He said, I'm not pushy like you. Well, I'm going to tell you that didn't sit well with me. And when the man came back in the room, I did something that no salesman wants to do. I handed him the signed contract back and I said, excuse me, but Marty here feels like I have maybe been pushy and I pushed you into this. And that's the last thing I wanted you to, I wanted to do. So if you don't want to do this, you're not comfortable with this for any reason. Let's not do it. He was mad. He said, you didn't push me. I had some objections. You answered them. I want to do the deal. Here's your check. Okay. I did that whole exercise because I was demonstrating to the guy that I wasn't being pushy. I wasn't being a pushover. I handled his objections, but I didn't arm twist him. I didn't power. I took, I, I listened to him. I thought, well, there's a solution for that. There's a solution for this. And, you know, creatively, we got the solutions and we, we wrote the deal. And so a lot of times you have good people because that guy, we'll call him Marty. I use that as a stereotypical name. He was a great guy, but he thought that that was the wrong thing to do until he saw, saw me in action. And then, then he heard what the customer had to say, which verified what I was doing was the right thing. And had he been more like that, he could have you know done a lot better because he was a really nice guy and an honest guy and all those other things. So I teach people those kind of principles. How do you do that? And it's, and it's not just about, you know, like I say, work hard, be honest. There's a lot more to do. There's, there's, there's questioning strategies, there's presentation strategies, there's negotiation strategies, all in the Bible. I pull them all out, and that's how I help people. Henceforth, a person that is uh, being stubborn in sales or that persona is going to be Marty. Sorry to all the Martys out yeah. there, but don't, don't be a Marty, yeah. right? Because you overcame the objections, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? We want to be able to solve for those, and we should be able to solve for those. So, you mentioned earlier that five of the people that you coached in that first team, you increased productivity by 433%. Were all five of those Christians? No, in fact, I'm trying to remember uh, them. Uh, to my knowledge, none of them were professing Christians when we started. Uh, but I can remember bringing three of them uh, to Christ in their job. A fourth one I witnessed to, and it made him so mad. I didn't even realize he was mad. He quit. I didn't know why he quit. He called me several years later. He tracked me down. I said, I've been looking for you for years. I want you to know that when you shared Christ with me in the car that day, I was so mad. I decided I'm leaving this company. I don't want to be part of this. He said, but your words kept haunting me and haunting me. And finally, I gave my life to Christ. I went to Bible school and I, and now I'm in the full-time ministry and I've been looking for you for years just to thank you for being a witness to me. So I wow. did lead several wow. of them to several of, of them to faith in Christ, including and by the way, I mean, sometimes you have somebody that you may not like. And one guy was a, was, he was like the office playboy. He had, he copied all the dirty, filthy jokes and just put them up in the wall. And, you know, and I really didn't care for him, to be honest. And uh, he, we had an appointment one time in the office where I was going to do a review or something. Meet me at three o'clock. So I came back to the office at three. He was supposed to be there at three and he wasn't. And four o'clock, five o'clock come. And I thought, where is this guy? He comes sauntering in about quarter after five, whatever it was. I said, where have you been? I thought maybe you're with a customer. Maybe you're doing a demo, some good reason. He said, no. I said, well, did you forget we had an appointment? No. 
what were you doing? I was just driving around. Like, Come with me. And I was going to land on him like a ton of bricks. And I, that's a figure of speech from my dad. It doesn't mean anything inappropriate. It just means I was not happy with them. And I, I was closing the door to my office and he was getting seated. The Holy Spirit spoke and he does. People need to understand the Holy Spirit will speak. And he did. He spoke one word, but it meant volumes. The Holy Spirit interrupted my thinking pattern because I was going to let this guy have it. I don't mean yell at him or anything like that. I just mean we're going to have a serious talk. And the Holy Spirit said, mercy. And I, I wasn't asking him for an input at that moment. <laughs> but that I, totally I works, right? Yeah, I responded in my heart with an instant mercy. He doesn't deserve mercy because he did it on purpose, you know. And the Holy Spirit said, just like that, neither did you. He said, but before, you, before he leaves this office today, he will be born again. And then you are free to leave the company because I've been wanting to leave, but I was waiting for the Lord to say it was okay. So I sat down with a guy and instead of reading in the riot act, I asked him about his life and this and that other thing. An hour later, he was weeping like a baby and was born again. Wow. And he came in the next day. He had such a smile on his face. I nicknamed him Permagreen because he couldn't wipe off the smile. Yeah. I brought people to Christ. I, I jokingly say I kind of cheated, you know, I, cause I bring, I'd introduce him to Jesus. I show him his ways. I show him the word and had a chance to, you know, pray with, excuse me, and encourage a lot of people in their faith. So yeah, that yeah. was a big part of it. Well, I asked that because somebody might be listening to this and, and anyone that listens to our podcast for one episode would know that faith is very, very important to me. It's foundational. Uh, but I know that we have listeners that, are, that aren't of faith. And I do a lot of work in corporate settings where I can't overtly talk about Christ, but I always get an opportunity to introduce him and I'm thankful for that. But someone might be listening and saying, well, you know, Mike, I'm not a Christian. So how am I going to apply these secrets of the Bible? And you took five people who were not Christians and you applied this yeah. and they were still very successful. So what would you say to that person that says, well, I'm not a Christian, but I'm kind of curious about these strategies now. Cause I do like me some sales. Well, okay. It's, it's a great question. I've taught these things like the Moses questioning strategy. Anybody can use them. Anybody can ask the questions in the sequence and, and do what I do. Anybody can do it. You don't have to be a, a person of faith to do it at all. I now, I, I've gone into corporations, big Fortune 100 corporations, and not revealed where this was coming from. Over the years, I've decided, you know what? God helped me to understand it, so I want to I give attribution where attribution is due, so I talk about it freely and openly. But I will say this to you. I used to not be a Christian. I wasn't born a Christian. Are you kidding me? I was, I, I hated the idea of religion, and I hated the idea of God, and I never wanted to have a conversation about it, but I found out. When I drove off a cliff at about 85 miles an hour in the Rocky Mountains, I'd fallen asleep after drinking too much. And, and we went tumbling down the mountainside end over end for almost a quarter of a mile without seatbelts on, me and a buddy. Um, and I wasn't scratched, bruised, or dented. My car was a complete mangled mess. We did not have our seatbelts on. He had a couple of cuts. And, and then we had to hike back up the mountain. Nobody could even see the car from the road. They didn't know what we were doing. He was blood, bloody on one side, and I was a mess. And we had to hitchhike back to town. And, and, and then from there, we had to hitchhike or actually catch a bus 400 miles back home. Well, I sat beside a guy. He said, uh, oh, God must have a plan for your life. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen up carefully. When, God, when, when a man said to me, God must have a plan for your life, I had two reactions. They were both visceral. The first one was, oh, crap. How did I get stuck sitting beside this religious idiot? But there was no other seats in the bus, so I had to sit beside him. And the second thing that grabbed me was, what if it's true? What, what if, what if God knew me 
And what if he wanted me? And what if he had a plan for me? Wouldn't that be awesome? And I thought, wow. Yeah, but I don't want religion. I hate religion. I hate everything I think it means. But I want that. He had put his spirit in me. And it was began to work. And I began to be changed. And I began to grow. And I began to fall in love with him. And began to want to follow him. And all the things that I used to love, I no longer cared about. The things that I, I hated, I now loved. And it totally, radically changed me. And all the, all the animosity and all the mocking and everything I used to do, all that was gone. And now it was a desire and a passion for Jesus like you can't understand. Because it was real. Because he is real. And so I understand. I was a mocker. I was a hater. I was all those things. And one day when I said, for real, this is the key, for real, Jesus, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do. What will you please do what you do to me? Will you forgive me? Will you come inside me? Will you do your thing in your own words, from your own heart, with everything that you mean, mean it. And if you do that, your experience will be different than mine, but it'll be real. It will change your life forever in ways that you cannot at this point imagine. So Amen. that's it. Thank you for sharing your story, Michael. And every time that I spend some time with you, I'm just, I'm just amazed. And I just want to sit and continue to listen from the first moment I heard you speak when we were in Tampa a while back, I just thought, wow, what a, what a story, because you, you shared that story of how you went over the cliff and you knew that God had a purpose for you. And it's very interesting. I love your perspective being someone that does not come from faith or doesn't, wasn't raised to believe this way. Cause I was the same way. I was raised Catholic and Catholics are basically told that you either be really good or you're going to go to hell anyway. So I thought, well, I can never do that. So I might as well just live my life my way. And I was 23 years old when I came to Christ and it was a similar experience that, wow, I didn't know this person. Yeah. I didn't know this yeah. guy, right? I didn't know right. th what this relationship was right. about. Right. And it really brings everything back around because in the same way that we are recreating or pioneering or trying to maintain the integrity of what sales is, because people get in their mind what a thing is, their perspective yep. is, well, I know sales. It's pushy. It's this, yeah, it's yeah. that. In the same way, people think, I know religion. Yeah. I know this Jesus, this God you're talking about. And it's, it's entirely wrong. And we can't dismiss. We want to be empathetic to understand where they come from. But we want to reshape their understanding of what it means to be a person of faith. And I love that. I just drew another connection of why we are so well connected as brothers, how we stand up for the negative stigma around sales, but ultimately the negative stigma around our Christ. And yeah. I asked you, were the people that you led originally Christians? Because people, again, might be thinking right now, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't know how to apply this. But folks, I want to encourage you, seven, the number seven, secretsofthesale.com, sevensecretsofthesale.com. I want you to explore this and really put it to the test, whether you're a Christian or not. And if you are a Christian, I'm going to quote Michael Pink. I wanted to become a great salesperson so I could introduce people to my Jesus. I couldn't be a terrible salesperson to introduce them to Jesus. I heard you in a podcast yeah. interview one time, Michael, I had to share that. So if you are a person that is a Christian, then be excellent. So you get the opportunity to introduce them. And if you're not, I want you to really test this out. And Michael, you were the first person as a Christian, as a person of faith, I knew that I wanted to be biblically based in everything that I do. I call it taking commands from the tower. When I was in the Army National Guard, anytime that we were shooting the rifle, we had to take all commands come from the tower, right? Stand up, whatever we need to do, it all comes from the tower. So every morning I take my commands from the tower, right? What is God telling me scripturally? But when I heard you speak in June, 
in Tampa, my first time ever in Tampa, my first time ever experiencing Michael Pink, it clicked to me that I didn't want to base my business and my perspective and my approach on the Bible just because it was the right thing to do as a Christian. Yes, that, but also it was the most effective and impactful thing you could do. And it clicked for me in that room that day. And I thought, wow, it's not just something to do because we're Christians. It's something to do because it's smart. It's profitable. This is the creator of the world telling us how we can apply all of this to our creation where we're mimicking him and building our business. And Michael, you have me on fire. From the moment I met you, you lit a fire (laughs) in me. And every time we talk, it's just gasoline on the flame. Thank you, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you. Closing, closing encouragement, Michael. We, of course, this is more than numbers Enneagram for business. Michael did take our assessment. And Michael, I'm just going to ask you now, can we have you on for a part two to dive into your personality type, your Enneagram type? Sure. Absolutely. We'll schedule that because people are probably, what's his Enneagram type? He tested very high as a type seven and a type three. Michael, before we go, can you explain two things? One, how important is self-awareness in business? And two, how would you describe your personality? Number one, you know, I think being aware of, of your strengths and your weaknesses, because we tend to, the first person that you'll ever lie to is yourself. And just knowing that we deceive ourselves before we deceive anybody else. And so I don't want to deceive other people. So I need to make sure I don't deceive myself first. So I want to know what's true. And then I apply that to my own self and, and, so I, I have an idea, okay, well, this is where I'm strong. This is where I'm weak. This is where I'm vulnerable. Um, I look at the 10 commandments as an example of the, I call it the motivational signals of the 10 commandments. And they are, those are things that um, guard and protect legitimate motivational needs. So for example, although the commandments should be taken literally, they also protect a need. Thou shall not commit adultery. That's pretty self-evident what that means. But it, but it also guards and protects the legitimate need for preference. And my wife expects me to prefer her above every other woman. And I'm only too delighted to do that. And I expect her to prefer me over every other man. And of course, she's delighted to do that well. There is a legitimate place for preference that also works in business. And there are legitimate ways to offer preference. Frequent flyer club being an example, uh, you know, with an airline or something. And so, but I found that there are certain areas that are weak, uh, like that are, are vulnerable to me. The one that I find myself most vulnerable at is that I shall not bear false witness. Okay. Um, I don't like to be misunderstood. I don't want somebody to look at me and say, Oh, he's just doing this because of whatever. I, I find myself like, I do, you can call me all kinds of things, but I don't, that's an area that I don't want to be, I don't want to be misunderstood. I just, so I'm a little bit more, I go out of my way to make sure that I'm, I'm clearly understood just so I'm self-aware of certain things that are important and, and I, and I can judge how I react with other people. So I think it's important if you're not, there are people who are, un, who are not aware of those things about themselves at all. And so they don't know how, how other people are perceiving them. And I think that's an important thing. Well, the, the second part of your question, if you would repeat that for me, please. How would you describe your personality? Oh, I'm fantastic. Wonderful. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, my personality type, there's layers, but this is the way I see it without looking at a textbook or reading a manual. Okay. I'm outgoing. Uh, I'm an otter. I have fun. I play tricks on my wife. I'm up there in years 
and I do things that are childlike and I do them in public. I'll do them in a grocery store. I'll do them in a lineup. I, you know, I, 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 I'm very much an otter. I play with complete strangers, catch them off guard and just do something. So that's a big part of me. Number two, I'm a high driver. I, I'm focused on getting certain things done. So I have a very high, high driving thing. Number three, I very much care about people and I'm compassionate for people. So there's that layer uh, and, I, and I love people. Number four, I also like to be by myself. And I don't mean apart from my wife, but I do mean like a, a vacation for me would be in the, in the redwood forest, you know, where there's, no, there's nothing but nature. And I ha or have a cabin up in the mountains and a lake and there's nobody around. That that solitude is very meaningful to me. I, I'm more comfortable there. I don't want to be, you know, like going to, would you rather go downtown New York or up in the mountains? I'd rather be up in Alaska in the mountains than in, in New York at the at, at staying at the Trump Hotel, as an example. So that's a, that's a part of my personality. I'm very extroverted when it appears, but truth is I can do that at one level, but then I kind of want to close the door and be by myself. Or actually when I say be by myself, I want to be with my wife. Before our call here today, I was working on something. I got it finished. And I came and said, are you busy? She said, no, what's up? I said, I just want to have some time with you. I just want to have some fellowship with you. I just want to hang with you. I said, I got this appointment at three o'clock. But before that, can we just, just talk? You know, I love my wife. I love being with her. So um, when I say by myself, I usually mean my, myself and or my, me and my wife. But that's kind of, that's, that's another part of it. It's a private, yes. you know. Um, so I'm a bit complex, I suppose. I don't know. Thank you. Well, I think that lays a great foundation. We'll get to dive into your Enneagram type in the next, on our next interview. I can't wait to have you back already, but some <laughs> words to describe a type seven are energetic, versatile, adventurous, and playful. So I think, uh, you know, I, that's the type you scored the highest on in our assessment. So I'm assuming that that will be the type, but Michael, thank you so much for the time today. I know that people are blessed by your story. I am continuously blessed in our time together. And I'm just so thankful and grateful to know you and have a friend like you. And I know that even just in spending time and listening to you today, you've added value to my business. So I know that that's the case for others. So again, I want to promote your book because it is just fantastic. Anytime that you can glean from someone like this and their information and their experience. Seven, the number seven, secretsofthesale.com. Oh, I, I just want to say something about you before you hang up. I mean, they, if they want to, they can go to michaelpink.com. That, that's easier for them as well. But yeah. what I want to say about you is you have an incredible ability to listen to people and to pull out of them. And because you help people and you help groups and you help companies and you help their personnel development, Development doesn't take place um, when you just turn on a spigot and spew information on them. So you have an incredible ability to listen and pull things out, which creates receptivity, which makes people then want to receive what you have. And you are you're one of the most refined voices that I know of. And you're, you're well beyond your years in your ability to reach into the psyche and the soul of somebody, regardless of where they are in life, and elevate them and lift them and pull them up and encourage them and help them arrive at another level that they need to arrive at. And you have that in you. And I love that about you. So uh, I hope that people, I'm sure they're already doing it with you, but if they're not, they need to, because 
you're a very rare gift. I know this. I've been in business longer than you've been alive. No disrespect, but I've been it's doing okay. it since the mid seventies. I think it's longer than you've been alive. Yes, sir. And what I see in you is I can think of very few people alive that I've met that have what you have and you have it at an earlier age than, than I would have gotten it. You, you excel me in certain areas. So I just want to make sure people understand that too. I, you have an, a special gift and um, I don't see that very often, which is why I wanted to be on your podcast. My wife said, what do you do with that? And I said, hey, this guy is special. He's got something special. I want to I want to be help him out if I can. So thank you. That's it. Thank you so much for that encouragement, especially again, as it comes from you, it means even more. But I really do appreciate that. And I appreciate your time. And everyone here listening today received tremendous value. And so I can't wait for what's to come. I know that we're just beginning our relationship and we will have great impact moving forward. So thank you, Michael, for joining us. And thank you all for joining us on another episode of More Than Numbers, Enneagram for Business. We're going to a different format here now on the podcast. Mondays, I'm going to be giving you short episodes. It's me and you. Me and you, we're starting out the week. I'm going to give you something practical or tangible or a story that you can apply from the beginning of the week as you go into your week. And then on Thursdays, we're going to maintain that same tempo, that same rhythm where Thursdays I'm going to have guests where then it's later in the week we get to sit down. Let's have a conversation as the week winds down. So I hope you enjoy this. If you like this, please subscribe. If you loved it, share with someone else. And if it's been impactful for you, let us know in the reviews. We so appreciate you all. 